Welcome back to episode two of Two Dedicated Attorneys, a podcast for the arm industry. My name is Liana Lattis, and I'm here with industry experts Kelly Never Stevens and Nicole Strickler. We're going to kick off episode two with the topic of phone disputes, how to handle them, how to facilitate a quick dispute resolution, and how to avoid any uh, potential FDCPA violations. Kelly, disputes seem to be a really big deal in the collections industry. How do collection agencies approach viewing disputes? Sure, that's a good question. Um, Collection agencies receive a lot of disputes, um, and I think that most collection agencies want to identify disputed accounts right away to resolve that dispute to the consumer's satisfaction. Because if you have a dispute on the account, you're not going to be able to resolve the underlying account. And so you want to satisfy whatever dispute the consumer has, whether it's providing them um, some documentation to identify what particular account or getting down to information particular to fees or charges or interest that they might not understand uh, and resolving all of that so that then you can ultimately resolve the account. How are phone disputes different than written disputes? Well, I think that a best practice that the agency has, or the industry in fact, has, has put in place is really allowing a consumer to dispute in any way that they uh, see fit. The FDCPA you know, mandates um, perhaps that a dispute come in writing. But because the collection agency wants to resolve that dispute as soon as possible, um, you know, when speaking to a consumer over the phone, if the consumer indicates that they have some kind of a dispute, whether it's, well, I don't really understand how the balance got to where it is, or I thought my insurance paid this, or I'm not sure what account this is, it's in the collection agency's best interest to resolve that right away. And so they're not going to tell the consumer, okay, well, you need to write that dispute down and send it in. They're going to get to the bottom of what that dispute is and then, you know, put the account on hold and gather the information that they need to provide to the consumer in order to resolve the dispute in the event that they can't resolve that dispute over the phone. Sometimes a couple simple questions um, can help resolve that dispute right away. And so this is actually my question for Nicole. The real problem arises around of the discussions that occur when a consumer starts asking questions that that involve a dispute. And so I'm interested in knowing, Nicole, what you recommend to your clients to do when their agents are on the phone with a consumer who, you know, is attempting to dispute the account. Well, that's a really good question, Kelly. I think that um, disputes are a common thing that people definitely struggle with in the collection industry. And I, I, I think that's for two different reasons. One, I think almost best practices and the law don't really align with one another. Um, And I say that because, like you mentioned, Kelly, there's different, um, there's disputing the debt in different ways um, has different remedies under the statute, you know, um, such as like disputing the debt in writing versus, you know, just having an oral dispute. You can do either always. Um, but you would get different remedies, um, you know, either secession of the collection of the account, um, you know, the receipt of validation, um, and the circuits even kind of differ as to what you need to do for each. So I think, um, I think to specifically answer your question on, on what the best practices are for disputes, I think when you're training your collectors about the receipt of dispute, I think you need to make it clear to them that... Um, 
that one, there really doesn't have to be a valid reason for a dispute. A consumer can dispute if a consumer wants to dispute. Um, they don't need to have a valid justification for that dispute if they don't want to. Um, that being said, um, I don't think you're prohibited from inquiring further about why the consumer um, may or may not dispute the debt. And so, um, you know, while it's a kind of a fine line to draw in training your collectors to say, listen, they don't need a reason, but it's okay to talk to them about the reason as long as you do it in the right way. Which brings us kind of the case we were set to discuss today, right, Kelly? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, I have not heard a lot of talk about this Hubner versus Midland credit management case that came out this past July of 2018, but it's such a great case for the industry that I thought it would make a good um, you know, discussion for us. It is. It is. It's, it's kind of an exciting case because you know, it's so rare nowadays that we're actually granted attorney fees and costs on our side. So anytime that happens, people get excited about it. Do you want to tell our listeners about the case? Sure. So um, this particular case uh, was actually, uh, well, it, it began in district court level and then it, it ended in the Second Circuit affirming uh, the judgment of the district court. And basically the, the facts are, are pretty easy. Is the plaintiff called in um, to the debt collector uh, and at the same time as they called in, uh, they were surreptitious, surreptitiously recording the call with the collector, which is always a little a little shady, wouldn't you say, from the get go? If if the consumer has enough wherewithal to to be you know recording the call him or herself um, at that particular sounds time. sounds a little like a setup. Just just a little, yeah, just a little. Um, and so when they uh, they called in, uh, they disputed the account verbally. And the representative uh, of the collection agency asked follow-up questions about the nature of the dispute, which were pretty generic. Um, now, funny enough, um, the the collection agency actually ended up uh, deleting the account as a result of the um, the person's dispute, despite the fact that they didn't ever even explain really the nature of their dispute. They refused to during the call. Uh, but it was a fairly small amount, a hundred and something dollars, and uh, the collection agency just said, "Well, hey, if you really dispute this, then fine, um, and we're gonna, you know, delete it off, delete it, and, and be done with it." Uh, almost, almost a year later, so right before the statute of limitations blew, the consumer filed a class action lawsuit against the collector, alleging that um, the representative informed him that he could not dispute. The debt without a reason, and uh, they said, you know, this was obviously a misstatement as the uh, as to the consumer's rights, and as a result, um, you know, it was harassing, and you know, violated the the FDCPA, and um, the the case went on for some time, um, which is kind of curious, um, because obviously the consumer would have had a recording of the call, um, but apparently the the call didn't actually go as as pled in the complaint here and um it came out i believe um i don't know if it was at summary judgment or not ah, yes at summary judgment um and the court ruled at summary judgment that uh the complaint was filed in bad faith um and frivolous um and because obviously from the recording of the call 
there was no statements in there by the representative that the consumer needed to have a reason to dispute the debt or could not orally dispute the debt. And so the, um, the lower court um, not only granted judgment for the, for the collector, but also granted sanctions under a couple different bases, um, one of which uh, I believe was under 1927 for vexatiously continuing the litigation. Uh, another, uh, some, there was some language in there also about um, the case being filed in bad faith for purposes of harassment. Um, and uh, overall, you could tell the judge was just completely fed up with the consumer, the consumer's counsel, who I guess had also violated a protective order uh, during the pendency of the litigation. And um, this this ruling was uh, upheld by the Second Circuit on appeal. So it's a it's a real great decision. Yeah. And I would like to add that, I mean, I think most consumers are not, you know, calling up with the intention of perhaps doing something that that the court definitely thought this consumer was in light of the way that they both handled the call and handled the litigation. Um, most consumers are not call baiting, right? That's the term that we use in the industry when someone on the other end of the phone is trying to bait your collector into violating the FDCPA by asking particular questions that are driven towards goading the collector to make some sort of misstatement that they shouldn't be making. So we can assume that most consumers are not doing that, but you still have to make your collectors aware about the practice and what key questions to be listening for. And the problem here when it comes to disputes is so many consumers, when you get them on the phone, have specific questions that they have about the account to try and identify which one it is and then get to the bottom of any question that they might have. So trying to figure out, you know, what call could be a a call baiting versus what is a consumer that, you know, legitimately has good questions about um, their account Uh, it can be tough. But I think the actual transcript of what happened here is very good and also kind of provides some good guidance for agencies on the type of scripting that you might want to have related to, or at least training, um, related to a consumer who's asking specific questions. So, you know, the first question was, by the consumer who called in, well, what do I have to do if I want to dispute the debt? And the agent responded, well, just advise me of what your dispute is and I can see if I can assist you with that. Um, And at that point, the um, consumer didn't answer the question. His response was, well, how do I get it off my credit report? And then the agent responded, well... Uh, We need to work with what your dispute is in order to understand how to remove it. So can you tell me why you're disputing? And then the consumer said, well, I can't just get it off my credit report. And her response was, no, we can't just delete an account because the consumer would like it deleted. We need to know why you want it deleted and what the dispute is. I can assist you with your dispute here, sir. Um, So very interesting that she continues to ask um, some questions to try and get at what the underlying dispute is. Now, when I initially read through this, um, I thought, oh, very good. You know, um, the court thought that the agent was super polite the whole way through. And that was one of the things that they made sure to note as she was just trying to understand what it was that the consumer was disputing. Um, And just asking um, that question, can you please tell me what your dispute is so I can see if I can help you with it, would be a great scripted answer. I wonder, though, as 
you know, they start bringing up credit reporting, we have uh, a script where, hey, we don't talk about credit reporting. The CFPB or BCFP is super concerned about how discussions about credit reporting could mislead consumers um, or be construed as a threat. Um, so it was interesting to see that there was this dialogue about deleting the credit um, uh, the credit entry because of this dispute, and the and the court was okay with her saying, "Well, I can't just delete it off your account. I need to know what the dispute is so that I can I can assist you." You know, I think that's interesting, um, Kelly, that you guys have a script about basically just not talking about credit reporting because I know that's one thing that agencies do because credit reporting is so tricky, like you said. Another thing I've seen agencies do is they have dedicated credit reporting representatives who are specifically trained to ask questions about credit reporting. So in the event that the consumer calls in and starts asking questions about credit reporting, they get routed to the credit reporting specialist who is trained specifically to ask question, answer questions about credit reporting and has a lot of knowledge about credit reporting, um, which is another option. I also thought it was interesting in the dialogue um, with the consumer in this case because they made the statement, um, I can't get it off my credit card or my credit card, my account without paying it. Is that what you're saying or something to that effect? Um, and the representative said, you know, that's not what I said, sir. But once you hear that statement out of the blue, are you saying I can't get it off my credit report without paying it? That's a big trigger, trigger to me that says hey, maybe this is a call baiting call. Why, you know, obviously that's not the case. We don't train anyone to say that. You know, why would why would the consumer ask that question? I think that's kind of a, a big sign. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime they start to get down to, so I can't dispute, unless, I mean, I have to make a payment before I dispute, or when is my payment due? Those questions are all trigger questions for credit reporting disputes. So um, we definitely, you want to make sure that you're training um, your collectors about that. So I wanted to get back to one of the things you said, um, uh, Nicole, that I thought was really important about how you don't need, a consumer does not need to have a valid justification about the dispute. Because I thought that was really critical and something to make sure to train your employees on. And I'm wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about follow-up questions in the context of a dispute that you would think were okay versus like follow-up questions when the consumer says, I'm going to file bankruptcy on this. Yeah, I think, like you said, training your collectors about how to handle um, how to handle the, the consumer um, when they're making that statement is important because I think a natural reaction in, of collectors and a natural reaction, I think, of people is to say, well, you can't just dispute something for no reason, right? I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive um, that we would really, as an industry, need to uh, accept a dispute when the consumer can't even explain to us why they ex why they do dispute it. Um, but the law is what the law is, and the law says, "Hey, if you you know the consumer can you know basically have no reason um, to dispute it if they want." So I think getting your collectors to accept that as a premise, an initial premise, is so important. Um, because I think it's just a natural reaction of a person to want to know more about the dispute, which is fine, but we just can't have to make sure we don't say things in absolutes where the collector then starts saying, well, you can't dispute it without a reason, which is, you know, not the case. Um, so you said 
your specific question is versus when people um, are stating that they're going to file for bankruptcy. What do you what do you mean? Can you give me a little more context? Yes. So I guess I'm getting to how the court um, in this um, Hubner versus Midland Credit case, they uh, the court found that a debt collector's questions about the nature of a consumer's dispute could become sufficiently inquisitorial to violate the FDCPA. So the court recognizes that it's very possible that the way that that agent responds to a consumer's question about a dispute can become a violation of the FDCPA. But they found that in this case, no reasonable jury could have thought that the agent's answers were misleading or abusive because she was um, being very polite throughout the call. She accepted his dispute. Um, she tried to offer um, possible answers to her own questions to him to try and get him to choose like what it was that he was disputing. Um, and so they found in this particular instance, her questions were okay. And so when I'm training collectors, and it's particularly around issues of bankruptcy, I think as well, um, you know, when, uh, uh, when someone says, well, I'm going to file bankruptcy, that at that point, you notate the account and you end it. There are no questions you can ask after a consumer says that they have filed bankruptcy or are thinking about filing bankruptcy that would be okay. Because any question you ask, you know, well, apart from, can you tell me who your attorney is that is representing you? That, that might be the only question that would be sufficient. And then thank you, goodbye. Because otherwise, you're going to likely find yourself in a lawsuit because you asked, well, why are you filing bankruptcy? So do you think bankruptcy constitutes a dispute in that particular no, case? No, 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 um, not a, not as a dispute. I was just bringing it up in the context of another frequent um, situation where you're going to have a collector wanting to ask follow-up questions um, from the consumer. I think, well, and I don't know, you're more in-house compliance. And so if you think it's better just to shut down that discussion for your collectors as opposed to having them kind of tiptoe around any potential issues. I mean, I could totally see that being the recommendation, but um, I guess from, from my perspective, I've seen lots of, you know, compliant conversations where the consumer has mentioned, you know, considering filing for bankruptcy. Um, I think the thing that most often arises is, well, is the consumer represented by counsel? And I've actually litigated that case before um, where the consumer, um, we had notice of the consumer's bankruptcy attorney um, that they had hired um, and they argued that was their attorney for everything, but that really wasn't the case. And we argued that successfully. So I don't think just because, you know, a consumer is saying that they're you know, thinking about filing for bankruptcy means that, um, I, means anything. I think that's something that actually consumers regularly use as an attempt at negotiation because I've seen collectors try to shut down the conversation after that and the consumers say things like, well, I mean, you know, that's, I guess, what I'm going to have to do unless you can give me a really great settlement. I think that's like a negotiation tactic. Um, so what are you concerned with specifically, I guess, in the context of a consumer just saying something as benign as I'm thinking about filing for bankruptcy? Well, we've received um, several demands relating to bankruptcy uh, because of questions that collectors asked after the consumer indicated uh, that they were, you know, filing bankruptcy. And normally their question's pretty vague about bankruptcy. It's not like, 
you know, it might be an invitation to a discussion, but because we've received those demand letters, it kind of falls into that bucket of this could be a triggering situation. So let's not get into with the consumer reasons of why you might be filing bankruptcy, particularly if you're represented. I suppose we could consider, now I'm considering out loud without really thinking through this, you know, perhaps asking are you represented and if the answer is no, then uh, I, I don't know what would be a safe question after that that's not going to land you into trouble if they're not actually represented. I mean, you know, I think that the things that come into play here are, you know, obviously knowledge of attorney representation. If you ask them, if they say I'm filing for bankruptcy, I don't think there's anything that you can say. I, I don't think asking them, oh, are you represented by an attorney? What's your attorney's information? If they say, well, I'm not represented by an attorney right now. Even if they are represented by an attorney, you've done your diligence. So they're not going to be able to to serve uh, to succeed on a claim like that. It doesn't it doesn't work that way because they have the obligation to give you that attorney's contact information. And if they don't, then that you know that's that's an issue on their end. Um, and just merely saying I'm thinking about filing for bankruptcy, I don't think that I, I think the consumer would actually have to state specifically I filed for bankruptcy or I am filing for bankruptcy to make it like a present tense. And, you know, maybe that's too difficult to to train collectors on. I don't know, um, you know, because it is kind of a game of semantics in some ways. But I think a perfectly appropriate follow-up question would, would be, oh, well, what's your attorney's information? And I'll put it here in the system. And, you know, you know, if the consumer responds, well, I don't have one, then I think you can continue your conversation. Um, unless they obviously say, but I'm pro se <laughs> bankrupt and so I'm filing everything myself and I've already filed and I think obviously you shut it down but I think there's a way to do it. What are some of the biggest FDCPA violations you guys see concerning disputes? Um, <clears throat> I think right now what's super prevalent um, and what I actually just talked about um, on where we just talked about Kelly on that um, on that webinar we did um, with ACA was um, there's a there's a big trend right now of the vague disputes, and usually the vague disputes come in the form of a letter that is usually conveniently drafted by consumer counsel, that'll you know have a bunch of things different things in it, and then at some point will say something vague like and the balance is wrong. So they won't come out and say I dispute this debt, but they'll give you enough information where like maybe they're disputing it or maybe they're not or they're they're just saying they're saying it in a different way, and by not using the term dispute. The collector has trouble um, determining that that this is actually a, a dispute as opposed to a question or a, as opposed to, um, you know, just gener a generic attorney representation letter or something like that. That's what I'm seeing the most of in the context of disputes. Um, yes, with written disputes for sure, especially because your admin departments are dealing with so much mail and there are very many um, robo disputes that you see. And I, I say robo dispute when I'm talking about, you know, credit card repair companies that, uh, you know, just send in month after month uh, repeatedly uh, disputes for sometimes even the same account um, in an effort not to help resolve it, but just to, you know, that if you get too many disputes on it, uh, even after providing all of the validation to, you know, verify the account that 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 um, that you'll just stop bothering. Um, so that's a that's a real problem um, for the industry. And, and there have been several um, really great uh, webinars. I think there's one coming up next uh, month from RMA on this topic. Nicole, what's the best way to wrap this up? 
I think the takeaway from this is, um, you know, train your collectors on disputes, train them to be polite, um, train them that they can ask questions, but that it's important to keep in mind um, relative to oral disputes that they don't have to have a reason to dispute if they so choose. I couldn't say it any better myself. Awesome. All right. Thank you, ladies. And until next time.